Glad you guys are here for real. Um, we are going to be continuing this series on Jonah that we've been working on for the past few weeks. And I'll tell you guys that ever since we started this series on the book of Jonah, I've just been in a battle. Like I have been fighting a legit real battle like every single week. Now, I'm not talking about a spiritual battle, although that's probably going on too. And I'm not only talking about the tech battle that we've had over the past few weeks with our screens and issues with cords and cabling and things like that. No, I've been fighting a battle with my iPad, okay? I have been fighting a battle with my iPad. And the reason why is because for whatever reason, Apple's iOS system does not understand the word Ninevite. It just doesn't get it, okay? So before I show you what's going on, let me just uh, remind you and catch you up to speed if this is your first time here or you've missed other parts of this series. The Ninevites are the, the, the bad guys, so to speak, in the story of the book of Jonah. They were an ancient civilization, what we now know as modern day Iraq. They were vicious and violent and they liked to conquer people, but not just conquer people, they would torture people. They would do unspeakable things to women and children. Like these are some of the worst, most evil and vicious people that ever lived in the history of the world, okay? And they're central to the story of Jonah. But iOS just doesn't get it because Every single time I type Ninevite into my iPad as I'm writing out my message, it changes so that it shows this. Can we put the screen up there? It changes Ninevites to 90s every single time. And it's driving me crazy. I, like, I want to quit this series just because I'm so sick of autocorrect at this point, okay? And most of the time, I catch it. I know that it's coming. But every once in a while, as I write Ninevites, it autocorrects to 90s, and I totally don't even recognize it. So on Saturdays, when I'm going back and I'm studying my notes, or Sunday mornings when I'm getting ready to come up and talk to you, it leads to some really funny moments when I miss the autocorrect. So it leads to things like this. The, the um, my notes as I'm reading through. Let's put the next screen up. Thanks. It'll show, it'll show the 90s were evil. Of course, I mean the Ninevites were evil, but iOS says, no, the 90s are evil. I'll say, Jonah tried to run away from the Ninevites and it'll correct it. Jonah tried to run away from the 90s, right? God wanted to destroy the 90s. He didn't like them parachute pants, you know? He just hated them, so he wanted to destroy them. No, 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 no. It's, a, it's just a constant battle, and I think I'll have to keep dealing with it. I know that I can go into the settings on my iOS keyboard and correct this so it doesn't happen, but I'm too lazy, so I'm not doing it, okay? Now, it would be awesome to sit around here today and to talk about the 90s with you guys. That'd be a lot of fun. I would thoroughly enjoy that. Uh, my entire Entire teenage years were spent in the 90s. Class of 1998 right here. We can all agree the 90s were the greatest decade in the history of all time. Did somebody say no? You get out. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I would love to talk to you more about the 90s, but we're not going to do that today. Instead, we are going to continue to travel through the book of Jonah. And up until this point, Jonah has been running away from the 90s. I mean, Ninevites, dang it. You know, I keep getting messed up. It's in my brain now. Jonah has been running away from the Ninevites. He's been avoiding this group of people that God told him to go and reach. But today, finally, in chapter number three, Jonah is gonna show up on their front doorstep. His path is gonna collide with their path. 
And God is going to intervene in a very, very miraculous sort of way. And the cool thing about this is the miracle that takes place in Jonah chapter number three is even greater than the miracle that took place in chapter number two. Do you guys remember what happened in chapter two? It's when Jonah was swallowed by the great fish, right? And you say, well, that's a pretty big miracle. I promise this one is gonna be even bigger. And the miracle that God does in chapter number three is the exact same miracle that God wants to do in your heart this morning. So what we are going to read can be your reality before you leave the theater this morning. Now, before we start reading chapter three, I just wanna make sure we're all on the same page. I don't wanna leave anybody behind. So give me 90 seconds to give you a quick recap. I'll put a map here on the screen for you. And um, you can read the very first verses of Jonah. We're not gonna read them, but I'll just tell you quickly the story. Jonah was a Jewish prophet. He was a normal everyday guy. And every once in a while, God would speak to him and his job was to go share the message with people. And uh, God speaks to him at one point. And he says, Jonah, I want you to go to this wicked city, uh, these wicked people called the Ninevites. And I want you to tell them that I'm tired of their evil. I'm sick of it. And uh, it's time for judgment if they don't change their ways. Now, Jonah hated the Ninevites because of what they stood for. He was a, probably a bit of a racist and certainly a nationalist. He didn't believe that the Ninevites deserved God's message, his grace. That He didn't believe that the Ninevites deserved any relationship with God at all. He was probably also a little bit scared because the Ninevites were so violent. He was afraid that if he showed up and started announcing judgment, that they were gonna get real mad and maybe even kill him. So we read in the Bible how instead of going from Joppa where he was and going to to the northeast up into the city of Nineveh. He jumps on a ship. He sails all the way across the Mediterranean Sea to Tarshish, which was an ancient city in Spain. This was as far as he could possibly go in the known world. And this verse tells us the reason that he did it was because he was hoping to escape from the Lord. Now in chapter number two, we talked about this last week. God will not let Jonah get away. And so he appoints a giant fish. It's not a whale in the Bible. It's actually a fish. And the fish gobbles Jonah up in a miraculous way so that Jonah can no longer run, but he has to stop. And he has to consider what God is calling him to do. Jonah has this moment of repentance inside of this great fish. The fish spits him out. And then we pick up the story here in Jonah, Jonah chapter number three. <clears throat> so listen to what the verse says. It says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Now, can we just pause for a moment? Who's thankful for second chances? I certainly am. I am so, so glad that we serve a God of second chances because I don't know about you, but I didn't get it right the first time. The first time God called my name, I was like, no, I don't want anything to do with you. Leave me alone. And I ran away just like Jonah did. Maybe that was you. First time God spoke to me about going into ministry, I was like, dude, you got the wrong guy. I'm not gonna do that. I wanna be a cop. I wanna kick in doors and bust crackheads. Like seriously, I am not gonna be a pastor. I ran as far away as I could. First time God said, move to Canada. I'm like, God, Canada? Are you serious? You want me to give up the beaches in Florida so I can move to Canada? The first time God spoke to me, I got it wrong like pretty much every time. But God is a God of second chances. And so we see here that Jonah has gotten his second chance. And in chapter number three, the Ninevites are gonna get their second chance. And some of you, March 31st, 2019, 
you're gonna get your second chance. God's been speaking to you. He's been calling your name. He's been trying to win you, to convince you of his love and his mercy and his grace and the plans he has for your life. And you've run away because you thought, not me, you've got the wrong guy, I'm not ready. But let me tell you, if you're not ready, you're perfect for God's plans. You are perfect. So God of second chances, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And he says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Notice it's the exact same commission that God gave him. In fact, it's the same words from chapter number one. Jonah, get up and go to the Ninevites and give them this message. Jonah's rebellion was not enough to ruin God's calling on his life. You catch that? This is important. Jonah's rebellion was not enough to ruin what God wanted to do in his heart. He gives him the exact same commission. So the Bible says, this time Jonah obeyed. Now Jonah's gonna get it right. Now Jonah's gonna follow through on what God says. This time the Lord, uh, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and he went to Nineveh. The Bible says it is a city so large, it took three days to see it all. Now, remember, they were on foot or maybe on horseback at this time. And so it was a very large city. We're going to learn in chapter number four that there were more than 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh at the time that Jonah went to it. That makes it one of the largest cities in the time, in the, not just in the region, but at their point in history across the entire world, this was one of the largest and most advanced cities that existed. And so God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. It's so big. It's a great city. This is their opportunity to finally get it right. So check out what the Bible says in verse four. On the very day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds. So we see Jonah early on in this story and he's running, he's delaying, he's trying to escape. But Jonah has made a decision. He's had a moment with God in which he realizes, I can't put this off any longer. I've been saying no and I've been trying to get away and I've been trying to delay and I've been trying to fight off God in my life, but I'm not doing that anymore. On the very day he gets to see, Jonah doesn't go to Nineveh and he's like, all right, let me get the lay of the land. Let me take three days to walk around this thing. Let me see where the population centers are. Let me see who's, a, who's an up and comer and who's you know, high on the social status here in Nineveh. No, he just walks in and he starts giving his message. So on the very day Jonah arrives in the city of Nineveh, the Bible tells us, and I'll put the verse here on the screen for you. He shouts to the crowds, okay, you silly gooses, you've been naughty, you know you've done wrong. And God is, he's not happy. Come on, Nineveh, it's time to start making good choices, okay? And if you don't, I just want you guys to know that God, he, he's gonna put you in the timeout corner. He is gonna make you think about what you've done. This is like, we're not kidding around anymore, guys. Like, it's time. You need to get this right, okay? No, that's not what Jonah says at all. That is not at all the message that Jonah gives. In fact, instead of saying this, let me show you what he actually said. Jonah walks in, he shouts to the crowds, 40 days and Nineveh is gonna be destroyed. Okay, check this out. If I had been sent to Nineveh, 
I would have been on the way thinking, okay, what's the funniest sermon I've got? Because if I can make them laugh, I can make them think, you know? So like, let me come up with the funniest message I can so they'll give me a hearing. I would have been thinking, what, what message do I have that has the perfect antidote that just, anecdote that just ties everything together? You know, when the keyboardist comes up to play at the end of the service, she sustains that chord just as I hit the Jesus moment. Like, let's make sure that everything comes together in just the right way. Not Jonah. Jonah walks in and he says, it's all over, suckers. You're doomed. Forget it. 40 days and you are going to be destroyed. Jonah doesn't come in polite, announcing God's frustration. Jonah comes in boldly, announcing God's judgment. This matters. This is important because it highlights something that I've told you before, something that in our modern world, people really don't like. Non-Christians don't like this fact. Believers don't like this fact. But Jonah's simple message of impending judgment, it reminds us that God does get angry. Okay, now, you might have been listening to this and you're like, man, God seems kind of mean here. You know, he's going to judge the Ninevites and he's judging Jonah and he's swallowing him up by a whale. He just won't let the guy go. If God, you know, if Jonah doesn't want to do it, go find somebody else. Leave the man alone sort of thing. You might get the idea that God is angry and that doesn't sit well with you. Why is it that God would judge? Why is it that God would condemn? Why is it that God would destroy? But can I remind you guys of who the Ninevites were? Can I remind you of what they stood for and what they did to God's children? These were not like people who kind of did some bad things, but they were mostly good, you know. No, these were people who made their living by torturing, murdering, conquering other people. And so while we in the 21st century, we're like, God, how can you be angry? How could you pronounce judgment on anybody? God is saying, what do you want me to do when some of my children are destroying other of my children? Well, how do you expect me to react? In fact, I would go so far as to say that this modern idea we have in which we say, well, I could never worship a God of judgment. I could never give my heart to a God that gets angry. God has to be love only and always, and he could never express any negative motion, emotion. That's a prevailing viewpoint in our world. And I will tell you straight up, that's the dumbest thing you could ever say. And I mean, no disrespect, but if you're sitting here and you're saying, no, no, no my God never gets angry, I will tell you, you don't have a God worth worshiping, okay? Because there is legitimate evil in our world. There are people that are abused and harmed. What would you have God say when somebody is sexually assaulted? What would you have God do if somebody is physically abused? What would you have God do if one nation is bent on destroying another. What is God supposed to feel when he sees corporate greed in the 21st century? What is God supposed to do and say when churches have resources and they only spend them on themselves? 
Is God supposed to say, what do you want me to do? I don't get angry. I'm just happy with everybody. No, because if it's your family member that was being conquered, if it were your people that were being destroyed, if it's your child that was hurt, what would you feel? Anger, righteous anger. And so does God. So this idea that, yeah, absolutely, 100% God is love. And a facet of love is anger when the people we love are abused and mistreated. You know that's true in your own life. It's true in your own relationships, in your own family. Why should we think it's any different with Almighty God? So God does get angry. And that is actually a really good thing. Now, if you want to know more about that, I preached last year an entire message on the wrath of God. It was in a series we did called Four Things I Wish You Knew About God. And one of them was God Gets Angry. So if you want to hear more about that, a deeper explanation of how God can be all loving and still experience anger when people are mistreated, hurt, and harmed, then I want you to go back into our podcast archives and I want you to listen to that message because it'll be very, very helpful for you as you understand, wait a sec, our God is loving and he will get angry if we abuse and mistreat and harm one another. So Jonah's message is not like, okay, Nineveh, God loves you so much. Knock it off, you silly guys. Come on. No, he walks in and he says, listen, God has had enough. And it's time you either turn to him or you're going to reap what you've sown. You're going to deal with the consequences of what you have been doing for the last umpteen years. And that's a message that even I need to be reminded of that I cannot get away with doing whatever I want in the world, being selfish, hurting, harming, ignoring other people around me and saying to myself, well, God loves me, so everything's okay. No, 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 no. God gets angry when his creation mistreats one another. Okay? All right, 40 days from now, and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's really interesting to me that Jonah gives them a time frame, or God gives them a time frame. Did you see that? He says, 40 days. You guys have 40 days in which to repent, that is to have a change of heart and mind, and to respond to God. That's your time frame, Nineveh. You've got 40 days and 40 days alone. And again, I'll just say, it is an interesting reminder to those of us that live in the 21st century that our window to respond to God is always limited, okay? Now, God's not going to show up and say, all right, it's March 31st, you've got 40 days. If you don't turn to me within the next 40 days, I'm going to zap you with lightning. No, I mean, it's not the same time frame, but we are on a limited timetable. We have a limited window to respond to God just as the Ninevites did. Uh, This offer from God, it lasts only for as long as we're alive. It lasts for only as long as we're here on earth and we have the opportunity to respond to Almighty God. There was a countdown timer on Nineveh's response, and there is a countdown timer on our response when God speaks to us, okay? Let me show you what the book of Hebrews says in chapter number 9, verse 27. 
It's a pretty straightforward verse. It might shock you at how blunt it really is. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, Each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. That we will live, we will die, and then we'll stand before God. There is a limited time frame to respond to our Heavenly Father because after we die, we will face judgment for what we did with our Heavenly Father and our knowledge of Him while we were here on earth. At one point in the book of Luke, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus tells a story. And it's the story of two men who die. And one of the men goes to heaven and the other goes to hell. And so Jesus is describing what they experience and what things are like for each of these men. And at one point, they start to ask, is it possible for us to travel in between the two destinations? Can somebody who's in hell move into heaven? Or could somebody who's in heaven be cast out into hell? And Jesus says very directly, no, because there is a great chasm. That is, there is a separation that exists between people who are in heaven and people who are not. And he says, no one can cross over to you in hell from here, and no one can cross over to us in heaven from there. It's very straightforward, and quite frankly, we don't like it. <laughs> we don't like that. Because what a lot of people think is, Okay, I don't really know if there's a God. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but who can be certain? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to try to be a good person. And then if I die and I wake up and I'm standing before God, then I'll say, oh, you do exist. Cool. All right, God, now I choose you. That's what most people think. We can't know so I'll just wait and see what happens. And if I get there and God exists, well, then I'll say, God, now that I know you're here, I choose you. But let me tell you, there is a very fatal flaw in that line of thinking. There is an assumption that you make when you have that attitude, which many people in our world do. And this attitude, this assumption, it really it's something you need to at least consider. It's something that you need to think about before you get to that moment. Are you ready for it? The assumption that you make when you say, look, I'm just gonna live my life, I'm gonna die, and if there is a God, then I'll turn to him. The assumption that you're making is that the reason you have not begun a relationship with God is because you don't have enough evidence that he actually exists. That's essentially what you're saying. Like if I could know that God existed, then sure, I would choose him. But I can't know that in life, so I'll wait to see if I can know it in death. But let me give you an alternate explanation. Again, this is one of those things that you are probably gonna start arguing with me about in your head. You're going to tell me I'm wrong. You're going to say there's no way this is how this spiritual stuff can work or operate. But I just want to challenge you. You don't have to believe it, but would you at least consider it? That maybe, just maybe, 
You haven't avoided a relationship with God because of your questions about His existence. Rather, you've avoided a relationship with God because of what His existence would mean for you. Okay, if you're not tracking with me, let me see if I can help you to understand. You think all I need is evidence that God exists. And if I had evidence or proof, then of course I would give my life to God. I think that that's incorrect. That what you're not missing, or what, what you're missing is not in your brain, what you're missing is in your heart. That if you and I were to get together and have coffee this week, Maybe we sat down in a Starbucks or, you know, you came over and you sat down at my kitchen table and I gave you a cup of coffee and we just started talking and I was honest and you were honest. You know what I bet would happen for the vast majority of people? We would find out that it's not so much that you don't believe in God, it's that you're angry with God. I have this conversation a lot. And people who say, nah, I'm a skeptic, I'm a rationalist, I'm a scientific person, I only believe if there's evidence for belief. And then we really start talking. I find out that quite often some of those people, the deep issue, the thing that's holding them back from a relationship with God is that they're really angry at God. Maybe you're angry with God because years ago you lost somebody that you loved. And you're like, how could God love me if he's going to take my mom? No, no, no. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe you were hurt in some way by somebody else. And, and, and whether unconsciously or consciously, you may have started to say to yourself, if there is a God... I could not stand him for allowing this to happen to me. Maybe if we were to dig in, you carry around frustration and hurt and anger because your marriage ended or because, you know, you you went through the four years of schooling and then you didn't get the career you wanted. And you're like, God, I just, I don't get it. I don't know what you're trying to do. But if you exist, I want nothing to do with you. Okay, now, let let me tell you what most people believe is that they will go through an entire life angry with God. Then they die, and if he exists, they stand in front of him, and magically all that anger is going to disappear. Magically, they're going to stand face to face to God, and they're going to say, oh, God, it's okay. I'm not mad that you took my mom. Oh, God, it's okay. I'm not angry anymore that my marriage failed. Oh, God, it's okay. I'm not angry that... I got laid off and they foreclosed on my mortgage. It's okay. Can I tell you, that's not how people work. If you live an entire life angry at God, if you are angry at God the day before you die, you're still gonna be angry with God the day after you die. So you're gonna stand in front of him and you're not gonna say, you do exist. I accept you, Jesus you're going to say, all right, finally, let me tell you what I think of you. Where were you when this happened? Why did it seem like you were ignoring me? If you love me so much, then why didn't you step in? 
If you spend an entire life angry at God, I'll just tell you, by the time you die, the only thing that's left might be anger with God. And so this idea that I'll just wait and see what happens, and then when I see God, my heart is going to change, it's not true. Some of you are not angry with God. That's not your thing. But you have other issues. Maybe you understand that if God exists, that means that you're not in control of your life. You don't mind so much the idea of a Savior, but you definitely don't want a Lord. You don't want a God who has the right to call the shots in your life. You want to do what you want to do. And deep down inside, it's not that you don't believe there's a God. Deep down inside, it's that you don't want to surrender control over your life to that God. Now listen, again, the same pattern is going to hold true. If you spend your entire life listening to a voice that says, God just wants to control you. He wants to own you. He wants to ruin your fun. He wants to keep you from experiencing all the good things in life. You can't trust him. When you stand before him on judgment day, you're gonna have the same attitude. You're gonna say, you're gonna still have a voice in your head that says, he still wants to control you. He still wants to ruin your life. He still wants to keep you from all the good things. Hear me on this. There are people who will still be fighting God for control of their life, even in their death. This is why the theologian C.S. Lewis, he said, the door to hell is locked from the inside. What that means is, if you die and you're mad at God, you'll stay mad at God for eternity because you haven't dealt with the root cause of what's actually going on. If you can't surrender control of your life now, you're not going to be able to surrender control of your life then. Now look, I can't tell you for sure whether or not when you die, God says, okay, you made your choice. Now that's it. I'm sealing it and you can never change. Or whether we will seal the decision, so to speak, in our hearts and we will never change. I don't know, but Jesus is incredibly clear. There's a great chasm that separates people who choose God and those who don't. And it is impossible once we die to go from here to there. So I'll tell you, although this is not a popular thing, your window to respond to God is limited. Just like the window the Ninevites had to respond to God is limited. So don't put it off. Don't keep delaying. Don't keep trying to escape. Instead, today's your day. The miracle that God's going to do for the Ninevites is the same miracle He wants to do for you. But you're going to have to acknowledge the real reasons that you've been avoiding a relationship with God. So 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Then in verse 5, the miracle happens. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and they put on burlap to show their sorrow. Everybody in the city responds to God's message. Everybody, from the greatest 
to the least, from the king to the city dog catcher, every single person, if you're a dog catcher, I'm sorry, uh, every single person in their city, they respond. In fact, it even goes further than that. We read here, verse seven, or verse six rather, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and he took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap, which was a sign of mourning or repentance. And he sat on, an e- on a heap of ashes. And th- then the king and the nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. He declares a citywide fast. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, That's weird. You dress your dog up in burlap. We'll just skip over that. And everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Then he says, who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind, hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. This is the miracle in chapter three. And I'm telling you, it is bigger and better than the miracle of chapter number two. It is much bigger to think that hundreds of thousands of people based on a one-line message or something real close to it of judgment changed their whole worldview, gave their hearts to this foreign God because he promised them mercy, but on a timetable. He told them the way things really operated and they decided that they were going to respond. Now you should find great encouragement in the fact that the Ninevites turned to God because these really were some of the most wicked and evil people that ever lived. If there's hope for the Ninevites, there is hope for absolutely anybody on planet earth. Mom, your daughter that has run so far away from God, you're wondering if there's any hope left for her at all. There is hope. If you're a wife, You're married to a husband and he's been a bit standoffish when it comes to you and your faith. Maybe he's even been a little bit hostile because suddenly you've gotten religious and you're wondering, is this the way it's gonna be forever? Maybe, but maybe not because there is hope. Marriages, societies, churches, There is hope for everyone. And the good news is there's still time. You're breathing today. Congratulations. That means you've got time. This is your opportunity to respond to God. Second Corinthians chapter number six, verse two, it says, indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. It's not too late and there is still hope for you and anybody in your world. Verse 10, the Bible tells us, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Someday I'll I'll preach a message or a whole bunch of messages on how God and why God changes his mind and how that's different from changing his character and nature. But what we can be sure of is that when we respond to God, God responds to us every single time. You never have to worry or fear. Well, if if I pray a prayer, if I try to get my life right and give my heart to Jesus, he's gonna reject me. 
no way, no how. There was one time Jesus was having a conversation and he said, those to whom the father gives me, I will never reject. I will never cast out. When we respond to God, God always responds to us. So let me wrap up this morning, okay? I'm gonna make a quick comparison between the Ninevites and Jonah. I'm gonna give you our bottom line for the message and we'll be finished. You'll see here that Jonah was quite different from the Ninevites and not in the way that you would expect. See, Jonah, he was the good Jewish guy. He was the one that you expected to be the hero of the story. These Ninevites, they were pagans. They didn't even believe in the God of the Bible. They worshiped false idols. So you wouldn't expect them to be the good guys, right? Jonah was very religious and he was religious in all the right ways. These Ninevites, they were violent. Yeah, they had their religion, but part of their religion was violence. They were the opposite of Jonah in that regard. Jonah knew God since he was a boy. The Ninevites didn't know God until Jonah finally obeyed and delivered the message. Jonah ran away from God the first time he heard God's word. But the Ninevites responded to God the first time. They got one line from God and they returned to him. They changed their heart and mind. Jonah rejected God's mercy. The Ninevites embraced God's mercy. See, I told you before, the person you've always thought is the hero of the story is actually the villain. He's the bad guy in the story. And the people that you thought were the bad guys in the story, they turn out to be the examples that you and I are supposed to follow because they responded to God when he spoke to their hearts. Here's the bottom line. And boy, do religious people need to remember this. We all need to take this to heart. Often, those people, can we put this on the screen, who seem furthest away from God are actually the closest. And sometimes those who seem the closest are actually the furthest away. Looking in from the outside, you would have said, Jonah's so close to Jesus. He's so close to God, like he's a prophet. He hears God's voice, like he's, he's, like, he's right there. No, he was actually miles away. Spiritually, and dude tried to get miles away geographically as well. On the other hand, you would have looked at the Ninevites and you would have said, they're so far away from God. Look at how terrible and awful these people are. And yet they were so close that one word from God completely transformed their society. And I think there are some of you that are here this morning and you say, I'm so far from God. Look at how far away my life is from somebody like you, Pastor Dan. And I would tell you guys, you're one word away from your life being transformed. You're one prayer away from your life being changed. Don't worry about how far away you seem. Trust how far away God says you are. You are closer than you think. And like Jonah, I'll just tell you as boldly as I possibly can, your window to respond to God is limited. You do not know the day that you will die. And when that day comes, you will stand before God and whatever attitude you had the day before you died will be the attitude you carry the day 
after you die. So the Ninevites are supposed to be our example. And I'll just end with a couple questions. As with the Ninevites, I believe that God is calling each of us to repent and to turn to Him. Now, there are some people that are here this morning, and you need to repent of your sin in total or in general. You need a Savior. You need to acknowledge, God, I've been running away from you. I've probably been hurting other people. If you've got rules, I'm sure I've broken them at this point. And so you repent of your sin. You trust in God's mercy and his forgiveness. You need a Savior. Some of you, you've done that, but you need to repent of a specific sin. Maybe like Jonah, you need to repent of your hatred for someone else or your self-centeredness or your unwillingness to go where God sends you. That repentance is about having a Lord in heaven, somebody who can call the shots in your life, who can direct you and send you and you will obey. Look, every single person in this room, including the one in the spotlight, needs to repent on some level and turn to God. So let me ask you, in the quietness of your own heart, just between you and Jesus, what do you need to repent of? What is the thing or the things that God would say, if you would just turn towards me, I would heal you of that. I would free you of that. I would set you on a whole new course if you would just change your mind, change your heart towards me. And as with the Ninevites, God has given us a timetable. We don't know when that timetable is going to be up, when that countdown is going to hit zero. It might be 70 years from now. It could be a whole lot less. With that in mind, can I challenge you not to put off a decision any longer? Regardless of what the decision is, if God is speaking to you, today is the day of salvation. The right time is now. So don't wait, because at some point, it might be too late. Thank you.